Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Good evening, wandering soul. What can I get you? I'll have a pint of 1998. Sure. The ale or the year? The year, please. No problem. Ah. And I must say, Robin, the moon underwater is a particularly welcome respite from from the other realm this evening. Oh, what's happened this time? Well, just the other realm, the sort of earthly realm, has been very stressful of late. Yeah. And I don't know about you, but I just get that feeling as I walk through, walk through the bar and I walk into some of the snugs and nooks as I prepare the moon underwater. I just feel an awful lot of the earthly concerns just slide from my mind. Just sliding off and drifting up like a cloud. Yeah, it's like there's no logins here. There's no login stress. There's no logins, no forgotten passwords. There's no reply all in the moon underwater. No remember this code for 30 seconds and then type it in. Yeah, no here's your recovery code, please keep it somewhere safe and you need it five years later. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) In a sense... The moon underwater is the heart's recovery code that never expires. Well, yeah, I suppose there's a lost property in the moon underwater for all those little things. A Timpson lifelong battery guarantee. We've got it here. They know you're going to lose it. They know you're going to lose it. It's the size of a a credit card, and it's made of card. Yeah, they know. (laughs) They know you're going to lose it. That's the deal. Uh, But there's no... There's none of that here, because all batteries last forever, because there's also no time, so you don't even need a battery for your watch in the first place. Yeah, that's true. Chuck your watch away. Chuck it down the grate outside the pub. Yeah. <laughs> before you come in, because <laughs> it's not needed here. Oh, wait. Just what's... What's that? Oh, don't worry, it's just a ghost from the past. Oh, 
Oh, it was just a little ghost from the past, just oh. flashing around. Can I see it? No, it was just a ghost of my past. It was just jumping from the flicker of the light on the optics uh, across the the shimmer of light across the bar. Oh, like a little, like a sprite. Yeah, and then it jumped across the brass the brass items. Mm. Which which is your favourite of the brass items? <laughs> The brass items, as in the f- the sort of furnishings on the bar. Yeah, I tell you what, I like a nice coat hook. Yes. If if it's if you're in a pub, uh, and it's a winter's evening, and you've got your big heavy coat, you want somewhere to hang it. You don't want to put it on a stool so it drags on the floor. And do you know what I like about our coat hooks here is that they are brass and they are all sort of quite decoratively styled of different woodland creatures. So there's a, can you see there's a boar? Yeah, the tusks. A boar with tusks to hang your coat on. And there's a fox when you can hang it on his snout. Mm. Are you okay, John? Yeah, I'm okay. I'm okay now I'm here. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, put your coat on the fox for F's sake. Put your coat on the fox, put your watch down the grate, (laughs) and just come in to the moon underwater where there are no logins. Yes, please, long last. So how have you been pub-wise, Rob? Well, um, I actually went to a pub um, last week. Uh, Tell me more, tell me less. We went to the Sylvan Post in Forest Hill. There was very, very quiet. There's no one sitting outside. It was very cold. Mm. We had one pint and it was fantastic because it was just the thrill of having the thing in your bloody hand. (laughs) And then having the thing in your bloody mouth and then feeling the bloody thing slide down your bloody gullet for once. Yeah. It was just, you know, after months of cans to feel that glass in the palm. It was really stunning. I should say, uh, the second episode of the bonus podcast that we also create here in the Moon Underwater called Behind the Cellar Door, which we create from down the stairs behind the Mirror of Sorrow. Mm. It's after closing time, we sometimes have a little bit extra left in us. Yeah, sometimes there's a little magic left in me and I feel the need to descend the steps where Robin and I discuss great pub matters by oil lamp and on on cloth. Mm. On cloth-lined stools from a hen scent. <laughs> hashtag pub memories. Hashtag pub memories, hashtag pub scenarios. Yes, and we also have a fantastic, if you sign up to be a patron, then there's the patron's poem as well. Yeah, but I have to say, Robin, that... The cellar has has bitten back. Go on. Do you remember in the ep- last episode of Behind the Cellar Door, I, we carried out a beer tasting? Yeah. And I recommended the beer I was tasting with no small amount of enthusiasm. Yes, I think you said it was the sort of fulfilment of all earthly joy. <laughs> yeah. Well, unfortunately, that beer has now immediately sold out. Ah, uh, of the website, so I am unable to source any more of that beer oh. until my birthday. Oh, well, it actually comes back on the market on your birthday. <laughs> yeah, so I spoke to the guy at the brewery, and I'm in- intentionally withholding some key information here so it doesn't sell out immediately again. Well, the, the, the patrons are going to know the name. The patrons know the name because the patrons have played the game. It might be like this thing in uh, China, you know, the guy who got trapped in a reality TV show. Have you heard about this? It might be like that. (laughs) There's a Russian man who sort of accidentally got involved in a reality TV show and he's so miserable 
that um, everyone, he was a hero in China and everyone kept voting for him to stay on because they really identified with him. I think that might happen with your beer. You'll mention it, but everyone wants to keep you in this perpetual state of misery (laughs) (laughs) because you're such good value. (laughs) Well, no, I'll give them a name check because they were so helpful, but I'll perhaps leave the specific beer to the... um to the behind the cellar door but I think it was Harry at Gloucester Brewery I spoke to on the phone he was very sweet and he explained to me the process of uh you know how long it takes to brew and can and and I apologized if perhaps I had created an upsurge in their sales which they weren't expecting uh but anyway he also allowed me to put in a pretty hefty pre-order oh nice so as soon as it comes back online, it's coming back down my line, in my line of sight. <laughs> yeah, that's fantastic news. Well, listen to the do listen to the um, the behind the cellar door bonus podcast to find out what on earth John's talking about. <laughs> <laughs> um, so head to moonunderpod.com uh, to find out about Patreon, uh, and also thank you to those who have uh, emailed us here at uh, Moonunderpod. Firstly, thank you to Pablo. He's answering my call because I said I had rosé to spare because I wanted an expensive version of cheap rosé. Do you remember? Oh, of course. Yeah, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I basically wanted a version of Echo Falls that had a little bit more love put into it. Mm. And Pablo writes, I've been downing this rosé since I discovered it. Sounds very similar to what you were describing as I listened to your episode with Susie. And it's Domaine de Cedra's Rosé d'Anjou. Oof. And Pablo says it's lower alcohol than a lot of wines and has sweetness without being cloying at all. Goes down an absolute dream with a couple of cubes of ice on a sunny day, or any day for that matter. Enjoying the podcast. Thanks for keeping a smile on my face. Well, Pablo, thank you so much for reminding me of the Rosé d'Anjou, which I have um, sampled in the past. And I am now going to be able to seek out further Rosé d'Anjou's. that's A-N-J-O-U, Alpha November, Juliet Oscar uniform. Um, and it's around the ten part ten pound mic. You could only be the, you could be the only person to use the NATO phonetic alphabet to read out a rose label. Um, but I will I will look up the specific one, the uh, Domain des Cedras. That's um Delta Oscar Mike Alpha Indigo November Echo Dash Delta Echo Sierra Dash Charlie Echo Delta Romeo Echo Sierra. But yeah, that was great. And that's a good help. And also, weirdly, I went to Waitrose today and they've got a really nice thing, which is like a series of their own lesser known grapes. Mm. So they have a little sort of um, little display in the middle of the wine section, which are these quite obscure grapes. From uh, and from some of them from countries you might not usually buy wine from. Ah. I bought a couple of those, and one of them was a rosé. So I've got very, very high hopes. And if it disappoints, I'm going to come down on Waitrose like a ton of bricks. <laughs> That's brilliant. I'm glad. I'm glad things are working out for you. I've got a great uh, email here from Charlie. He's saying, "Loving the pod, fantastic guests and selections." Uh, he's he tells a lovely tale about going to Bristol to see the Libertines at the O2 Academy. 
And uh, have, arriving in the city with a few hours to spare in order to sink some pre-game pints. Um, and they walked in no real direction, taking left or right turns on a whim and ending up on a cobbled street littered with a number of superb establishments. We continued our journey into a dimly lit bar with a selection of Belgian-style beers before choosing a couple and heading downstairs. Hidden beautifully was one of the best pub settings I've witnessed. Low stone ceilings, dim lights and leather chairs, a huge and varied beer selection. Um, and he's talking about the beer emporium, isn't he? Yes, he is, which we know very well. I love that place. And that's on King Street, the cobbled street of dreams, which is a lovely place to go for a few drinks. Um, but the beer emporium is fantastic for that kind of, you know, it, it, it looks very small from the front. In fact, I think it's just a little off-license on the front with maybe a small bar. And you go downstairs and this is an almost German-style beer hall and they've got really, really nice beers on tap there. Well, it's like it's in a very big double wine cellar, isn't it? Yeah. Because it's got low domed stone ceilings, a very long bar, an awful lot of choice, and it's open quite late. And I've been there a number of times after the Bristol Comedy Garden. Mm. And it's just really nice. It's a really nice feeling at like one in the morning to be drinking a nice craft beer as opposed to the sort of... um, compromises you usually have to make late at night yes it's a good kind of post gig one i've been there after gigs and things because it's sort of a bit off the beaten track as in you could walk past it and not know how good it was it's a lovely area of bristol that to be out drinking in god yeah renato's renato's is yeah i love regard the pizzas there the old duke Mm. kong's is all right if you're young (laughs) yeah um what are the t- what are the two pubs before you get there? Oh, the Royal Naval Volunteer. Yeah, Sam is that a Sam Smith's pub? And there's another one. Is it the Prince William? That's the Sam. Smith? Is it the Prince William? Oh, the King King William. The King William. The King William. Yeah, that's the Sam Smith's, which I really like. And the um, the Naval Volunteer has kind of become more craft beery, but it's still very good. And then right at the end is the Apple, the cider boat. Oh yeah, and the Landiger Trow, which claims to be the oldest pub in Bristol, but isn't quite as good as you want it to be. No. I remember once being in there and the kind of there were two barmen and they put muse on very loudly and they were sort of <laughs> high fiving each other and as they did complicated orders and I thought, no, no, and just turned turned away and left. Well you don't want a space age guitar riff in a fifteenth century <laughs> pub, do you? Not not in the pub that's the setting for the beginning of Treasure Island. You know, you don't want to hear Matt Bellamy. No, talking about what it's going to be like in a billion years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so thanks for writing in, Charlie. Love the email. Yeah, thank you so much for your correspondence. Keep it coming to John at Moon Under Pod. But we've got to get all of these bits of paper away because there's no actual electronic emails in the Moon Underwater because, as we have stated, there's no logins, there's no passcodes, nothing's going to expire, nothing's going to lock you out, nothing's going to get corrupted. You might get locked in. You might get locked in, but you won't get locked out unless after you leave, we will lock you out because the doors are locked. But there's no time. But there's no time and your watches are in the the drain. Watches in the drain where they belong. Your watches are in the drain and your coat is on the fox, for goodness sake. Mm. So it's time for us all to just calm down, to charge our glasses and to prepare to welcome this week's guest.
Welcome back to The Moon Underwater. I'm delighted to say that there is a face in the mottled glass of Ye Old Door, which I learnt recently is actually pronounced the. Uh, ye is not a word, but I'll, I'll maybe explain that uh, at some point later. And the door is now opening, and I'm delighted to say it's this week's guest, the wonderful Mr. Dave Berry. Hello, Dave. Yes, it is ye Dave Berry. Oh, sorry, I mean the Dave Berry. Hello, John. How are you doing? I like that we're learning stuff as we walk through the pub door. Education is an important part of any public house, whether it be fictional or not. So thanks for inviting me around for a drink. Really appreciate it. Dave, we're going to get on to perhaps our shared interests later, but uh, talk to me about early pints for Dave Berry. What was the pub scene when you were growing up? And do you, do you remember the first pub you went to? The landmark pub of my life and, and the pub I had my first beer in was the Trafalgar Tavern, which is in uh, Greenwich or Greenwich, as you pronounce it, if you're from around that way. Um, and it, uh, it, is both, um, it is both a spring, summer and an autumn, winter pub, John. You see, I, I think that pubs <laughs> can fall into to one or the other category. You can walk into a pub and go, I like this pub. Do you know what? I'm going to come back in October when it's not 30 degrees. Dave, have we stumbled across our first pub for all seasons? Well, the Trafalgar Tavern has got the roaring fire, the deep, dark oak wood flooring, and it's got the oil paintings hanging on the wall. So it's a winter pub. But then it's got these breathtaking views over the Thames. It's got lots of benches and seating outside. So it does work for all seasons, John. You're right. And, and that was the place I had my first pub in. And bringing the, the two seasons together, even though it was freezing cold, me and my friends who weren't quite legally old enough to be having a beer remained outside. And our friend, uh, Michael, who was the most hair suit of the gang, uh, we all had one of those in our friendship groups growing up, uh, he went in and got the beers and brought them out to us, where we all kind of stood round, shivering in a circle by the Thames, sipping our first beer. And that was your first pint? That was my first pint. And I had to text my friend who was with us at the time, Toby, and say, like, am I misremembering our first pint? And he reminded me that uh, to make us all appear older, uh, I had chosen to uh, pilfer my mum and dad's car keys, which I would casually swing around my, my finger uh, <laughs> whilst muttering stuff about, you know, you can't park around here and stuff. Um, and I also I borrowed my dad's suit jacket, which was like a I was, you know, uh, I was a teenager. It was like a, a size 42 chest in a, a lovely fetching uh, moss velour with uh, four buttons down the front. So I look pretty snazzy. <laughs> so before we get to your first choice, you're a, a Greenwich-based early pubber. Yes. Born and raised in that area. Yeah, me and Rob have, have had a couple of crawls in Greenwich. Oh. I, I want to be informed, but I will make a point <laughs> that I think Rob might back me up on this. There are a lot of pubs, but there aren't that many belters. Yes. So the plume of feathers is a is a belter. That is a cast iron belter. Yeah. There's a Young's pub just as you go off a side road from up the creek. I can't remember what it's called. Uh, there was the Robin Hood there, which was next to the. Oh, that closed down. That used to do lock-ins. That after... did close down. Yeah, it did. Just you do the you do the up the creek, then you do Robin Hood. <laughs> it's a great way to spend an evening. Um, but no, you, you're perhaps you're right, and you know I, 
it was something I was hoping to talk about at some point if it came up, which it just has, John, which is a, you know, a show of your excellence as a broadcaster. But I think that there was a bit of a, a, a bastardization of Greenwich. And I, and I think that certain, it was, it's such a special place to me, particularly because um, it, it's kind of where I started my journey into kind of adulthood and, and I had my first jobs there. And, and therefore I kind of spent my first wages that I'd earned myself there, you know, in, in the brilliant pubs that were around. And whilst, you know, I'm, a, I'm always been a, a big supporter of the independent shop and store. And now, I mean, just to look at the high street, given what's happened, you know, around the world over the over the past year is, is just horrible to see. But before coronavirus, before all of that, a place that had a real soul and a real heart and had real locals and it had, you know, genuine um, people who were going to goldsmiths, you know, who were bringing kind of um, artistic flair to what they were doing. And I was working in a vintage clove shop and there were these amazing kind of wine bars and pubs and all that got eroded away. And I don't know when you, you know, at what point in your life you did the pub crawls, but I, I, I have returned obviously over the years. I no longer live in that part of the world. And, and, a, and a, lot of those, a lot of those places almost become themed pubs. There was, a, there was almost a, a genuine, there was a genuine nautical feel to places like the Trafalgar Tavern and the Nelson Rooms that lied within. And now it's kind of tacky statues and, um, you know, badly cobbled together oil paintings to create that idea of a, a kind of British history, almost like it's being done for the tourist um, market rather than it is out of a genuine place. The pub I'm thinking about is either the Mitre or the King's Arms. Yes, so the Mitre, the Mitre was, the Mitre used to be a, a, was genuinely the first place I ever went to and the last that had sawdust on the floor. And um, and the King's Arms, I didn't really go to the King's Arms too much. That was tucked around just around Nelson Road. It reminds me what you're saying about, because we, we obviously grew up in Bristol and we used to go to lots of pubs on Gloucester Road, I suppose. But there are, I mean, that, I mean it's gentrification, but it's weird how some pubs still manage to retain that character, like for, for better or worse, really. Like, I don't, when's the last time you went to the Cat and Wheel, John? The last time I went to the Cat and Wheel, which is just under the arches on Gloucester Road in Bristol, was when I... Do you remember I got, like, chatted up by a sort of 65-year-old bloke who asked... This would have been when I was in my sort of mid... And that bloke was I! <laughs> <laughs> I was in my probably late 20s, maybe early 30s. We were still living in Bristol. And he he asked me what I did... And and asked me where I went to uni and just started talking a lot about his his work in history. And then I went to sit down, he came over and sat next to me. And it was then I sort of cottoned on that that he was sort of trying to um trying to sort of f- flirt with me, but in a way that I think older men, when they're s- s- slightly uncomfortable with it. So it's you know the, the the great thing about flirting is when you know you're being flirted with, <laughs> whereas it's sort of slightly disturbing to have to decipher that that's what's happening. <laughs> Are we mates or? <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about your first two choices. Um, as as regular listeners will know, you get two draft. Two spirits, two bottles, and a wild card. But we're going to start with your draft. Uh, what's what? What are your two draft choices, Dave? I've gone for Guinness 
and Cobra Lager. Whoa. Wow. Okay. <laughs> uh, Robin, thoughts on Cobra? Well, I mean, it, uh, there's a time and a place for Cobra. And I would say that is in an Indian restaurant having a curry. But it's also in my dream pub, which has a delicious freshly cooked vegetable samosa on the bar snacks list. Ooh, don't mind if I do. And also as well, and this, as I thought more and more about coming on your podcast, guys, I, I thought it's a lot of this has to do with the vessel for me. And in my 20s, the Cobra Lager glass was the most highly collectible thing I could think of. I wanted it more than, than you know, a Fabergé egg. <laughs> Just beautiful, like, like ribbed for my pleasure. The gold rimmed top, the beautiful green and gold popping from the glass. And also, we'll all agree, and you mentioned the Indian restaurant, Robin, I think one of the great moments in any person's life is where you first, again, in my mind, coming from the cold, you sit at the table with your friends in an Indian restaurant and you get that first delivery of poppadoms and the chutneys and the onion salad. And the and the cobras go round. Yeah, the bubbles really go up ecstatically in a, in a glass of cobra. <laughs> don't they? they really do. I I loved I loved the cobra glass. That's why I, there were other lagers I could have had, and I had to have a lager, and I opted for cobra just because of the bar snacks available. Those um last time I went for a curry, we had cobra, and I, I just found the the photo of the the cobra tagline that's written on the glass is is this impossibly smooth premium beer brewed to an outrageously complex Indian recipe. <laughs> That's right. You, you can't cheat them. I've tried. It's like I started with KFC, nearly cracked it. Then I moved on to Cobra, yeah. but I just can't get anywhere. Outrageously complex. But the thing is, like, there's only four ingredients in yeah. how, how complex can you make it? People are literally making this in their own sheds, guys. Let's stop calling it outrageously complex. I have to say, though uh, a curry is one of my favourite parts of a pub crawl, it is when panic mode sets in for me because I'm not a lager drinker. So I really am at the behest of what they've got on their... Uh, on their other lists. And if they don't have cider, I mean, the last time, Rob, when we went for a curry just before lockdown, I had sherry. Mmm, <laughs> a chicken jowl frazy and a sherry. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. Yeah. John likes having cider with a curry. But that, in that place, the, like, John said, asked for cider and said, we don't have cider. He, he said, John said, I always have cider with a curry. And they said, that, that's not a thing. <laughs> <laughs> Trust me, sir, I'm from India, and that's, that's, that's yeah. not a thing. That's not a thing. <laughs> okay, so Guinness uh, is a very popular choice in the pub of the mind. Uh, and obviously, it's the best poured Guinness in the most perfect glass at the most perfect temperature. So you're not going to get any um, crummy Guinness extra cold or anything like that. Unless, of course, that's what you want. No, no, I'm I'm a purist. I, I mean, I chose Guinness. My 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 mum is Irish. My I'm half Irish, and uh, my grandfather was the only person I ever saw Granddad Mick drinking Guinness on a regular basis. Uh, and tying back into the first drinks I had with the car keys and the and my dad's suit jacket on, I I presume that only old people drank Guinness. So throughout my kind of teenage years, that's what I drank because I thought, well, they're never gonna they're never not not gonna serve me. I'm having a Guinness. If I go, hello, mate, how are you doing? Can I have a pint of Stella, please? They go, no, 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 you're 17. If I go, hello, I'm spinning some car keys around. I'd like a Guinness like my granddad drinks. I'm going to have a great night. So I've, I've put Guinness in there. The guys at the curry house thought I was in my 70s. <laughs> With the sherry. And can I get a blankie as well for my lap? <laughs> 
Okay, so I'd like to talk, um, Dave, uh, about our shared joy, which is commercial digital indie broadcasting. Oh. Uh, but in order to fully exploit uh, the great chat around how commercial digital, <laughs> commercial digital indie radio and pubs combine, we need to bring in um, a past comrade of yours, uh, someone whom I've rarely been able to talk about my exploits without him going, oh, yeah, you should have been working on the breakfast show at Capital with Dave Berry. Oh, it's mad. <laughs> uh, I've heard more about your breakfast pub exploits from this man than anyone else. So if we could open the door, please. And he's, he's soaking wet. He's been standing out there in the rain patiently like a bedraggled cat. It's another Dave, Mr. Dave Masterman. Hello, Dave. Hello, gentlemen. It's lovely to be here. Lovely establishment as well. Hello. Hi, Dave. How you doing? I'm good, thank you. And then all of a sudden you're having a nice time when the one that got away breezes in through the pub doors. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Dave uh, Masterman, uh, you've been granted special access into the moon underwater because you were the boots on the ground in Dave Berry's uh, Boozy Fridays. I want to start by asking... Dave Berry, given that you are, let's not beat around the bush, commercial digital radio royalty, <laughs> and you have, I'm guessing, a, a say in which slot that you uh, present, you got a bit of heft, mate. You're not getting kind of shunted around from Saturday to Sunday to Sunday afternoon to Saturday afternoon to Friday to one till three to one till two thirty like some chumps. <laughs> you're Billy. You're Billy Breakfast. So why and how does a pub lover choose, and how are you able to continue to present breakfast shows? Well, firstly, thank you, John. You're a very kind, spirited landlord, and I like that about you. Um, well, the, the answer to that is I find, and this doesn't work for everybody, I find pubs at their best in the afternoons. As soon as it's time to hover around another table hoping you'll get a seat, only to put your arms down on the table and realise that someone had spilt a pint or worse still um, one of the bar staff has wiped it down with a bleach leaving a kind of slightly red patch just near your elbow that's when I want to get out of the pub I like the pub where I can walk in take pretty much a pick of the tables and sit down with a friend like Dave Masterman here and we can kind of catch up have some fun have a few drinks maybe have a curry. I mean, it got to the point, John, where, and I think this is for any young broadcasters hoping to get into breakfast radio, as soon as you hear the theme tune to the one show, go to bed. That's the best <laughs> yeah. thing you could do for yourselves. But, but it, worked, it played well with the pub stuff. But, but our real danger was before children and all that stuff, for Dave and I, was when we did the, we did the afternoon show. That was, a, that was where the real troubles began. That's why I call them the troubles. Uh, we were on a station called XFM um, and my, uh, my former producer had moved on and Dave came up from, from uh, came down from Manchester. He was, I think you were, what, 11, 12 at the time? Something along those lines. And uh, you came down and it was a, an instant love story. And um, 
and so, so much so that we realised that it would be complicated, as you've established yourself here, John, having two people called Dave. It's one of the most common, you know, um, first names in, in the world. Uh, so we just named him Producer Chris after the guy who just left and he'd taken his job. So Producer Chris and I would, um, we would, we would meet up for a production meeting at the, uh, was it the Picture and Piano, Dave? It was, yeah. Oh, I mean, what is it with you and Picture and Piano? <laughs> in London. <laughs> well, no. John, listen. We there are better choices, John. You're right. <laughs> of course, there's better choices. But well, a the chili con carne in there was sensational. It was mm. a cracking two p.m. Uh, little pick me up before we went back into Leicester Square to do the XFM drive time oh, show. Wow. But you have to remember, in and around Leicester Square, and if you don't, if you're not from London, you might not be aware. But well, you will be. It's the one of the biggest tourist traps in the whole of the UK. The pubs are quite, and I know you're, you're going to say one of your favourite pubs is very near to Leicester Square, John, yes. but to be really close to one Leicester Square, which is where we had to, to go and do the show, one of the closest places that did a cracking two-for-one deal at 2pm was a picture and piano. So I'm not going to, I'm not appearing on this podcast to necessarily talk about the choice of pubs that me and Dave made back in the day. It's more the practice of, of what we went through, I think. I want to get to the bottom of the body clock of breakfast radio followed by booze because you're finishing it you say dave you like a pub in the afternoon for me the afternoon in a pub is say three or four p.m well that's six hours after you've finished your show okay john i like the morning in the pub okay you got it out of me i like the morning in the pub john here we go God, <laughs> he's whittled me down to a nub everybody i know uh, the <laughs> yeah I, I see i see your point and you know li life has changed slightly but but it's more about the work, John, if I may. And it's more about how I, I, am a, I feel I'm a better broadcaster doing breakfast radio. And that is my kind of job and the thing that I really love to do. So everything else has to move around that. And, you know, and there's no typical day with that. I mean, when you finish maybe at 10 a.m. And if there's nothing else to do in, in the day, there's, you know, like chatting to you lovely people that there is today or whatever it may be, there is a, a whole wonderland of, of, of opportunity. There's a, there's a two hour stroll while you do your emails up to, up to Hampstead, to the, to the kind of Hollybush pub, which is one of the great pubs. You know, or you can go down to the South Bank and you can stroll along the river and there's a lovely little pub. Where, and that, that's, that's what I used to like. And I've, I'm very fortunate, and, and this doesn't work for everybody because they obviously don't work just the, the taxing four hours every morning that I do. But I've got friends who work similar hours or have employment that means they're not, they're not working on a random Wednesday. And so you can just put out the text and just say, like, who's around? And you can go and have a nice lunch. You can go to the pub. And you can have it all wrapped up by the time the one show theme tune comes on, which means you haven't got to watch the one show. And then it's just a really, it's a, it's a, it's a nice existence for me. But it's born out of the, the seed that is, this is kind of what I love to do. And this is what I'm uh, uh, gratefully afforded the opportunity to do. So all the other stuff just has to kind of fit around it. I was listening to Mark Riley on a podcast talking about how they used to go to the BBC. They, I think they're on 10 till midnight or maybe 9 till 11. Wow. And they used to go to the BBC bar before, and sometimes you could hear them getting really pissed throughout the night. Was that just what the 90s was like, or was that...? <laughs> I'd like to say in our defence this was in 2010. Which <laughs> was uh, so, yeah, yeah. Let's bring in Dave Masterman here, because Dave, um, Dave Berry's painted a wonderful picture of a sort of man about town, walking to the South Bank, sending emails, 
perhaps meeting up with friends a couple of hours. Tell us about tell us about the bottles of wine at eleven a.m., Dave. Well, <laughs> and <laughs> Dave does paint a wonderful picture because. Dave is a great pubsman, and he would never say this about himself because he's too modest. But Dave is one of my favourite pubsmen, and actually, as a as a innocent, wide-eyed northerner uh, coming to London back in, I think it was two thousand and nine, when Dave and I really started to work together, um, he really did take me under under his wing, and we had some fantastic evenings away from the picture and piano. And Dave Masterman, what was it like being a little Manchester mouse in all these London pubs? Was it the first time you'd ever been to London? No, I came to I came to watch Placebo randomly <laughs> in the early in the early noughties. But no, this was, the first time I lived in London was hugely exciting. And um, before I'm going I'm going to leave the pub shortly, so you guys can crack on. But before I do leave, the the reason Dave is such a great pubsman, and we did have many wonderful times together, both on XFM and then at Absolute Radio as well. The pep talks Dave gives you after a couple of glasses of wine. Are, well, they're, they're famous for starters. That people are aware of these pep talks, and you walk away thinking you could go and learn Latin in three days after after being with Dave around about the one bottle of wine in. He'll sit you down. He'll tell you everything that you should be doing with your life, what you're amazing at, what you could be better at, and how you can go and get it. And it they're addictive. That you you just you go back for more. You, sh- you sure it was just a couple of glasses of wine? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so I know some people who give pep talks like that. <laughs> well, thank you, uh, Dave Masterman. Um, I, I'll allow you to take uh, a bottle of a bottle of pop of your choice. We've got all the mixers here. You can take one home with you. Uh, Pepsi Max, please, John. You can have a Pepsi Max. <laughs> so it's not a leisure centre vending machine, Dave. <laughs> Um, okay, so off, off pops Dave Masterman with his Pepsi Max. Bye, Dave. Love you. Bye, See everyone. You Bye. Bye. Make sure you call me when you get in. <laughs> Dave, I see uh, through the, the, the magic of digital technology that you're drinking a red wine. So we're coming up to your top two bottles now. Ah, uh, yes. So what are, what are your two bottles for uh, your dream pub? Um, my two bottles are uh, a good, solid French red. I'm going to have to ask you to be more specific. Yeah, okay. Uh, well, I've got the uh, Le Garagousse, um Grand Reserve at the moment, which is just a big hitting, lovely wine. I, I kind of like the, I kind of like the dark plum and all that stuff. Out of interest, have we got a price point there? A ballpark figure? No, it came as part of a majestic wine I have in a sale. My wife and I ordered a couple of boxes, got them in because obviously we knew we wouldn't be going to a real pub anytime soon. So I'm just literally, sometimes Sarah Jane, she'll go like this. She'll be like, don't forget, this is a good one. (laughs) As I put FIFA on and, you know, everyone else goes to bed. Um, But so I don't know which one it is, but it's, it's quite, it's quite tasty. Yeah. It's quite nice. But, but just, I'm, I'm, I'm clearly not a a wine snob. I don't have the, uh, the knowledge to be a, a, a wine snob, quite frankly, but I think a good red is, is very important. And with reds as well, and, and back to, to vessels, um, I, I, I loathe um, that you ask for a large red wine in many pubs nowadays. They measure it in the, in the metal cup thing, which I understand. Uh, but then the glass barely fits the wine. So you're left with this kind of heavy glass on the table. There's often spillages. You need to swill a little bit. So I'm a big fan of the larger glass with lesser wine in the bottom. Um, 
if it wasn't going to get me beaten up or thrown out of the average pub, I would ask for the large glass of wine split between uh, within one glass with an extra glass just for me to swill it around in. But I like to get it into my face. I can't bear it up to the brim. You know, it, it, it makes me makes me feel weird. It brings me out in hives. And then the other one is a whispering angel rosé, which for for me is the is the taste of freedom. And, uh, if, I, if I'm going <laughs> to... If I'm going to own a pub, imaginary or otherwise, I'm going to want the taste of freedom in there. Why does it taste of freedom? I couldn't possibly tell you. Right, move on. No, oh, right. Right. Sorry. Uh, no the, reason, the reason it tastes of freedom is because when I left my uh, the radio show I was hosting on Capital, and I had a great time there, but it was time for me to move on. And I decided to move to work with Dave Masterman, who was just in the pub a few minutes ago. I don't know if you caught him there at Absolute Radio. Um, I was... I was I had to go on something called gardening leave, which is I had three months off, right? And two months of my, the end of my contract paid out. So I had five months off. And so, and my wife knew that I was going to be a nightmare because I wasn't allowed to do any work. So I was just going to sit about being a cantankerous old bugger. So she said, look, why don't we enjoy this? And I went, how dare you? I'm going to enjoy any time off. She said, no, it'll be fun. We'll go away a lot. So we'll go on one trip per month that you're off. And in the June, um, we went on a road trip across halfway across America. Uh, her parents live in, in Dallas, in Texas, and we flew out to see them for a while. And then we, uh, we went to uh, Dallas, Oklahoma, New Mexico, Colorado, Utah, Arizona. Then it was meant to be Vegas, Palm Springs and L.A., but we got to Vegas and we got stuck there. The sticky web of Vegas had its claws all over us because it's fun there, guys. I don't know if people listening to this pod have been. I don't know if you've been. I know people can find it garish and horrible and it's full of crippling addiction, but it's also full of boiling hot temperatures, really cool pools, and a whole endless supply of whispering angel rosé. <laughs> and we had a great time. We were meant to stay for one night. We stayed for a week. <laughs> That's great. I've never been to Vegas, but I... I, I... I appreciate that people find it would find it tacky, but I would really, I would love to go on one of your away days. No, I, would love to go, I would love to go to Vegas. Next time I get some gardening leave, Robin, I'll give you a call. <laughs> okay, everybody, pens out, eyes down. It's time for the quiz. Played for Zimbabwe, but he was born in South Africa. I know Alaska is bigger. That wasn't the question. Put your phone away. Right, Michael Jackson's Funky Monkey had been deducted five points. Uh, this week it's about uh, the Booker Prize. This isn't getting too uh, blokish, is it? This uh, <laughs> this podcastery. <laughs> so this is uh, three questions about the Booker Prize. Uh, the prize going for the best book best novel um is that why they call it the booker prize no i think it was named after you know john booker i think uh i don't know I, i've got no idea was it tj hooker <laughs> i get those two confused yeah. I, it's one or the other the booker prize the the the, the uh, renowned literature prize um so question one what was unusual about the 2019 booker prize winner mm. yeah okay have a think about that. Are you writing this down, John? Yeah, I am actually, because I know that one. Sure, sure. And I'll tell you why I know it. Yeah, I know I know why you know it. Well, I know why. I'll tell you another fact about why I know it. 
And I'll tell you exactly why John thinks he knows it and does actually know it. But I didn't realise he knew it. But all along, secretly, I did. I knew you'd say that. Question Question two on the Booker Prize. In 1980, which author refused to attend the ceremony unless it was confirmed to him in advance whether he had won? Which I I really admire. (laughs) Wow. So, shall I repeat that one? In 1980, which author refused to attend the ceremony unless it was confirmed to him in advance whether he had won? So arrogant these days. Well, I know a few stories about that happening in, in, in comedy and radio. And in fairness, some of the lesser award ceremonies, obviously not the booker, but it's kind of a, it's a waste of your time if you're not winning. I'm not speaking from personal experience, but there are people who are like, if you want me to come to your shoddy awards ceremony, I have to have won. I'd like, you know, I'd pay to go to one of those. They sound like a great laugh. I'm sure the book is a good laugh. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so the final question, question three. The 1994 Booker Prize winner proved to be one of the most controversial in the awards history. One of the judges declared it a disgrace and left the event later deeming the book to be crap. Uh, so which which book won the Booker in 1994? That's the third question of the quiz. Great quiz, Rob, man. And uh, we, I will find out two of those answers which I didn't know and confirm the one I did know uh, after these words from some companies. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome back to The Moon Underwater. With us is Dave Berry, constructing his dream pub. Also, the lovely Robin Allender propping up the bar at this fictional nightclub, (laughs) which is essentially what it is. Um, But, uh, uh, Robin, you set us questions three uh, about the Booker Prize. Yeah, I hope you had fun writing them down on your bit of paper. So the the answers to the Booker Prize quiz. So question one was, what was unusual 
about the 2019 Booker Prize winner. John, do you want to have a, a stab at this? Uh, there were two winners. The prize was shared. And the reason I know that is because the BBC News website did an article about people who've shared awards, uh, and I did not feature on that article. Incredible, really? Yeah, they did a, a proper sort of long read deep dive into people who've shared awards, and me and Hannah Gadsby did not make it onto that article. She probably didn't even notice because she doesn't need the PR, whereas old Johnny JR sat at home thinking, here we go, I've definitely got in this article, but nada, zilch. <laughs> And I work for them. <laughs> I know it's absolutely there's just fuzzy thinking. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, John's quite right. Uh, in uh, 2019, they John Robbins did. They split the award <laughs> between two books: The Testaments by Margaret Atwood and Girl Woman Other by Bernadine Evaristo, which is a great book. And really, Margaret Atwood didn't really need to win it, so it was a bit silly. In 1980, then question two: Which author refused to attend the ceremony unless it was confirmed to him in advance whether he had won? Do you know that one, John? No. That was Anthony Burgess. Was it really? Yeah, he was nominated for Earthly Powers, but he didn't want to um, come unless it won. And in the end, they gave it to William Golding for Rites of Passage. Well, isn't Burgess a bit of a a sort of semi-recluse? He's dead now. I mean, Yeah, but wasn't he? Can't get any more semi-recluse than that. (laughs) I don't think he was that reclusive. He used to do kind of TV and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, forget it. Um... Had a very bad comb over. Uh, Question three. The 1994 Booker Prize winner proved to be one of the most controversial in the awards history. One of the judges declared it a disgrace and left the event later deeming the book to be crap. And do you know what that one was? Uh, No. Bit of an obscure one. It's um, How Late It Was, How Late by James Kelman, which has now got a very good reputation. And I think it was controversial because it was written in Scottish dialect and it Hmm. was kind of quite a difficult... uh, book. God, we're a bunch of lads, aren't we? We're such a bunch of lads. Just <laughs> book apprising it up. Let's break out some more rosé and carry this on. <laughs> yeah. Here we go. Now the shipping forecast issued by the Met Office. Viking, west, variable, two to four, occasionally westerly, five at first, east, northerly or northwesterly, four or five, becoming variable, two to four. West, slight, occasionally moderate at first, east, slight or moderate. In west, occasional rain. Good, occasionally moderate. North at Sierra. Northerly or northwesterly, four or five pints. Occasionally lager at first, becoming variable, two to four. Slight or whiskey. Occasional rum. Desire becoming fervent. Pubs, occasionally distant. South at Sierra. Pintily or North Pintily, four or five, occasionally cider, becoming pubs two to four. Slight or moderately drunk, occasional rain. Pub appearing in mist, variable. German bite, variable two to four pints, becoming cyclonic three to five pubs. Pubs or pubs. Rain later in pubs. Consuming mist, pubs. Pubs, pubs. Okay, Dave, we move on now to your two spirits. Are you a spirit guy? No, I struggle with this one, John. And in the interest of brevity, um, which I think so far my answers are going to desperately need for this podcast, uh, you've got a couple of short ones coming up. It's the only thing really that if my wife goes away uh, for a while, or she used to before lockdowns and stuff, uh, she was pretty confident would still be remaining in the cupboards when she returned. So I wouldn't have like had the last bottle of Whispering Angel, for example. Um, the gin will remain as it is. So I've gone for, um, quite simply, um, a nice whiskey. 
Um, whether I, if I open a pub, imaginary or not, if I don't have a whiskey, my dad will kill me. I also think that we're Bond, uh, you could argue the coolest character, fictional character ever created. Where he got it wrong was a martini shaken, not stirred. I think the coolest bar order is a large scotch. I think anyone walking up to a bar and going, I have a large scotch, please. They're, that's a cool bar order. Can I press you any on any more details about this nice whiskey? Yeah, you can you can go for it, John. I'm I'm an open book. Have you got a style of whiskey or a brand name that jumps into your head when you look at this bar? Um Father's Day is Glen Morangi Day. Okay. Or is it Glen Morangi? Uh sorry if I'm uh, mispronouncing it. Um but yes, the the Glen normally t- kind of 12 to 18 years of age are always well received. Um, and there's a, another one called Jura, J-U-R-U, which is very popular in the with Mr. Berry Sr. Uh, and that's kind of where I'd put the whiskey stuff. I like to think, and I won't be alone in this, that I am a, a whiskey drinker. But when I've had real, really bad experiences of alcohol, and obviously you've got to temper things and, you know, remain in control at very least, is when Dad and I have opened a bottle of, of the whiskey that I might have bought him over and we've been afforded the opportunity to sit at the kitchen table at my former home where I grew up and kind of uh, have a real long kind of chin wag uh, and a catch up. And I always feel so awful the next morning. So any whiskey drinking tips, more than welcome over here. I couldn't get on board with whiskey at all. And I used to live in Edinburgh and it was only after I moved away from Edinburgh that I got into whiskey. But there was just having water with it. It just transforms it so much. It's a beautiful drink. So Rob, you're you're gonna have to as the whiskey expert in this in this today's pub, you're gonna have to choose which of those. The the Morangi, the Glenfiddich, twelve to eighteen year old, or the Jura. Oh, I like Jura. I do like Jura. Okay, we're going for Jura then. What's your second uh second spirit? Limoncello. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. There we go. That's it. There we are. I don't mind it, mate. It's a day changer. It's a night changer. It's a fork in the road. To decide on limoncello is to decide madness. <laughs> um, it's, it's simply uh, the tastiest spirit that there is. It's like a, it's like a very naughty Sprite. Um, and I, for one, absolutely love it. Uh, it, it, it's also a way in which I think and uh, kind of like taking an exploded view on myself and, and my friends, it's a way in which we can uh, in middle age still be having a shot of tequila at the bar. It's the acceptable face of that, I think. And I know tequila has moved on and there's some great press surrounding tequila and it's not the venue in New Cross with your mates eight for five pounds or whatever. But limoncello starts as that thing that you have at the end of a meal which is where you're supposed to finish the meal it's a real palate cleanser you go about your night everyone's had a good time but for me it's become let's go again here we go let's let let the limoncello lead the way we go again yeah so so i'm, I'm having it i'm having that and a whiskey john they're my two that's good. I, I've, like you say, I've only ever had limoncello at the end of a meal and it always feels a bit rushed. And now you've said that, I'd actually like to spend a little bit more time with limoncello. Well, in a, ni- in a nice restaurant uh, um, in Italy um, that I went to with my friend Phil in, in Florence, they gave you a little bottle of limoncello. So it wasn't just one shot. You just keep topping up and topping up. Stunning stuff. We have one of those little bottles uh, in our fridge. I mean, we're never far from a limoncello here. <laughs> It's, uh, it's, it's, I just love the stuff. I really do. 
Mm. Now it's time for us to turn the corner to the other side of the bar and to approach our rapidly expanding bookshelves. Every pub needs its own selection of books, uh, be it 10 copies of uh, The Da Vinci Code or <laughs> here some of the great pub tomes. So, Robin, what's, what's today's entry into the pub library? Well, thanks, John. The uh, entry today is really the laureate of pubs in many ways. It's Patrick Hamilton. Oh, yes. Brilliant novelist and playwright, um, a big drinker, a big pub lover, the pubman in many ways. Um, uh, He writes about London pubs in such a beautiful way in his... uh, trilogy which i've got here the Twenty Thousand streets under the sky trilogy yes please and also hangover yeah hangover square and he also wrote the screenplays for gaslight which is obviously where we get the phrase gaslighting from and rope which was made into the hitchcock film and but Twenty Thousand streets under the sky is a trilogy it's kind of semi-autobiographical um the first book in the trilogy is the midnight bell and it's about which is the name of a pub in or the fictional pub in soho and uh the main character, Bob, is very much based on Patrick Hamilton, who's uh, working in the pub and uh, falls in love with uh, the prostitute who visits the, the pub. It's rather a tragic tale. Patrick Hamilton had a bit of a tragic life. But the pubs! <laughs> Let's avoid the tragedy. <laughs> I mean, The Midnight Bell is brilliant. I've been reading it again today. Uh, it starts with him waking up with a hangover. The burden of cold and ever-recurring existence weighed down his spirit. Sounds like John. Um <laughs> The saloon bar was narrow and about 30 feet in length. On your right was the bar itself in all its bodily glitter, and on your left was a row of tables set against a comfortable and continuous leather seat which went the whole length of the bar. At the far end of the saloon bar opened out into the saloon lounge. This was a large square room filled with a dozen or so small round copper-covered tables. Around each table were three or four white wicker armchairs, and on each table there lay a large stone ashtray supplied by a whiskey firm. Ooh, I'd like to go there. Yes, please. (laughs) (laughs) To Patrick, wow, brilliantly written. My goodness. He's such an amazing author. I have to say that the, I mean, it's not a spoiler alert, but the the end of that trilogy is one of the bleakest endings of a, not in a kind of like horrific way, but just so stark. Yeah, it's. Um, I mean, it's very much unromantic. It's. Um, yes, it's like the opposite of a rom com. Yeah, but for that very realistic portrait of what London was actually like at that time, twenties, thirties, it is amazing, and it does bring those pubs to life, which is. I mean, for him to kind of create the the, the whole idea of gaslighting, which is used by psychotherapists and, and therapists on the whole as, as a term nowadays dogging you know many partners uh, you know people in relationships with their parents and, and with their other halves around the world the guy must be able to to delve deep I mean I've never read any of his work but I'm, I'm familiar with the because I think that was a play to begin with wasn't it and then it became a movie and and that was a, a play in a movie in the 30s well Hangover Square is an astonishing portrait of of mental illness isn't it rob yeah it's kind of a it's really kind of schizophrenic and maybe a, i mean he, the, the character does have schizophrenia and it's done in kind of i mean i'm not sure if how, how modern readers would find it maybe they'd find it a bit too kind of i don't know what the word is 
um, would they, they wouldn't maybe wouldn't find it as a very realistic way of presenting schizophrenia. But it's it's very kind of powerful that book. The changes in character, and in that book, Hangover Square as well. The pubs are so grotty. It's like Earl's Court pubs, and it's so kind of dingy and grey. But it's brilliant. <laughs> Have you read the Gorse trilogy? No, no, I haven't got that. I picked up a copy the other day in a pub, actually. There's, that's another one of his books, um, which I was unable to finish due to it being about a character who was always sort of conning people, and I just couldn't cope with the fact I was going to have to spend so much time with this awful guy. <laughs> yeah. But it's the prose is exceptional, and there's some some great uh, there's some great pub descriptions. So thank you, Robin, for uh, inducting the great Patrick Hamilton. Um, 20,000 Streets Under the Sky into the pub library. But every library needs music in it. (laughs) That's what they say. Uh, And uh, this pub's no different because there's music in our library. Uh, And uh, Dave, you get to choose an album to add to the pub jukebox. And you're someone for whom pubs are very much intertwined with, you said, with Britpop. So I'm interested to hear whether it's a Britpop album or what you've gone for. Based on it being my pub, um, I needed an album that had songs on it that were that were, were raucous and that were loud, and I needed it to also contain songs that were slightly more calming, slightly more chilled for the for the possibly the daytime drinker like myself. Um, and also, I've opted for an album because it's just easier to do it this way that contains one of my favourite songs of all time. So I have gone for Oasis and What's the Story, Morning Glory. Um, and the reason I've gone for that is that there is a, a, a time machine aspect to, to one song on the album, which is um, Champagne Supernova. And it can instantly uh, transport me back to those first forays in, in, into to pubbing. And, and this is a, 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 an area of it that we, we haven't touched on, on so far, but it was a, a kind of an, an unusual time where I didn't particularly feel very comfortable within it. But 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 it was it was to looking back it was so rewarding and it was to it was to find a pub which was the Prince of Wales which was in Plumstead which is uh, again in, in South East London it's it's kind of near Woolwich for geographical reasons should anyone be interested and, and not know um, and it was a it was a it was a it was frequented by uh, kind of working guys and. They, they would be there all of the, they were there all of the time. And, and one of these working guys happened to be the lodger of my best friend at college's mum. So we were a good 10 years younger than, than these guys. But we used to go along and they would, um, and it was my first look into how there, there actually once was, and maybe there even still is, a reality in the Rover's Returns and the, the kind of Queen Vic of this world. There were people whose kind of worlds revolve around being in the pub. And it was really quite, it was, and it was nerve wracking at first. And as I say, these guys are older and there was a, almost a, certainly not a bullying culture by any means, but there was a a kind of hierarchy where Luke and I, who were the younger ones, we would queue up for the beers, but in return, we would be bought a beer because we, we didn't have any money and, and they were working guys. And then, so they'd be there in the day and they'd all know each other's stories. And then on a Friday night, uh, their partners and uh, would come along as well. And there would be snacks on the bar, which was made by the, by the landlady and everybody knew her. And it was a, it was a, a kind of looking back a very special moment, but I quickly kind of, after a period of time and once I'd bedded in and probably just as it would have become very uh, kind of comforting to be in that environment, um, I I kind of 
was was started to work in Greenwich and talk of Bardem Musée and having a bottle of wine with my friends and, and, and living that kind of life instead when I had time to, to, to go drinking in the evenings. But the album and the song that sets off that is What's the Story, Morning Glory by Oasis and particularly uh, Champagne Supernova. So it's going in the jukebox, if that's okay with you, John. My, my feeling with Oasis is I, I love Definitely Maybe. Yeah. And I love half of Morning Glory because I think losing Tony McCarroll, their first drummer, <laughs> is the worst thing that happened to Oasis. Because there's something about the rudimentary simplicity of his drumming that, that suited them perfectly. So I love half of Morning Glory. I was speaking with Liam, Robin, and he was saying the same about Bonehead and the, the, guitar, the guitar riffs. It's like there's a simplicity to, to these things that lent themselves nicely to, to the overall sound of the band. And I think that's why Bonehead still you know, kind of tours with Liam now with his solo stuff. Yeah, you're right. Hmm. Cast No Shadow is my favourite Oasis song. I will say that. I should point out uh, Dave Masterman is banging on the door to get back in to join in this discussion. We're not not going to allow him back in. He's the one who's lending me the CD. So we now come to your final drink choice and it's anything that you've not been able to squeeze in. It's the wild card drink. And Dave, be careful. I've gone with <clears throat> seven up. I think that there's a two pronged attack to the, to the seven up. And, and these are the two prongs. One, if you're not drinking, as we established earlier on, in my opinion, it's the tastiest drink you can have. So if I'm not drinking or I'm driving or whatever, I'll have a seven up. And secondly, if you are absolutely hanging, but you want to get back on the horse, seven up will fix you. It will fix you nicely. Will it really? In fact, my home, they won't do this in a pub, unfortunately, I have, I have asked, but you get a Mr. Freeze lollipop, you know those really cheap ones from, from the supermarket. You get a dimpled pint glass, and you fill, you fill it with two cans of 7-Up, and then you break the Mr. Freeze ice lolly into the top, let it sit for 45 seconds, and then just sip slowly at that, and then you're ready to go. You're barred. You get one thing uh, you're allowed to ban from your pub, Dave. What would your dream pub not contain or include or allow? Well, I wrote a list, actually, Uh Firstly, I went for windows and clocks, but I thought that might be a bit <laughs> Vegas and dark in every way. Um, then I thought about those short saloon-style doors that they often have on pub toilets, but I thought that might look, make me look like a cokehead, so I thought that wouldn't be very good either. I just don't like the lack of privacy from the, from the, the little mid-doors, uh, so they'd have to go. But in fact, the big topic, the umbrella one for this is uh, stag and hendus. Great choice. Yeah got to go um I, whether you whether you are part of a stag do or a stag do has entered your pub or you're part of a hendu or a hendu has entered your pub it's bad news because when i've when i've seen stag do's come to pubs that i've been enjoying a drink in with a friend 
it's often well it's all the things you would expect and there's no reason for that person not to celebrate their nuptials i'm not against this i'm not being you know uh cantankerous about it in any way but i've also i think it's even worse when you're part of a stag do that goes into a pub and you you fret about are they going to let us in which one of these guys and often you don't know all of the people nowadays stag do's and for quite some time stag do's have exploded beyond just your five closest mates there's those other guys that you don't know which one of these is going to be a knobhead you know and and then there's also the the fear i have about the kind of aggression uh, that a group of a large group of men attract from other groups of large men honestly john i look over at those people with such disdain, I'm sat there on my own drinking a full bottle of limoncello and I just think, you guys are losers. You're absolute losers. <laughs> <laughs> You're barred. Hurry up, please. It's time. Well, thank you so much, Dave. You do have one more job before you leave the moon underwater because you get to take your fantasy pub with you. Uh, but you've got to give it a name because there's only one moon underwater apart from the Weatherspoons on Leicester Square. <laughs> D- Dave, yeah. what's the name of your, your fantasy pub? Um, I Thank you for the opportunity to name this pub, John. Um, I'll keep this brief. Um, I have used the name that I had for a band that me and two friends tried to put together um, many, many years ago. Uh, we were more focused on what we would look like on the album cover than actually concentrating on making any good music. Um, I'm not usually a fan of the pun, but I thought I'd also bring in some Greek mythology as a nod to the fact that my wife studied classics at Durham. And so my pub is going to be called... <clears throat> The Oedipus Rect. Well, you, you, it's a great pun. It's a great name. I guess you're going to attract quite a lot of stag do's with the name. <laughs> <like that. laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm going to need some bouncers. Yeah, you need some fantasy bouncers. You're going to need like uh, who are the who Robin? Who are the Greek bouncers from mythology? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> don't go near his heel. That's how you're going to get him. You're going to get in. Uh, you need a minotaur and a cyclops outside the front. Yeah. Medusa's there running the door, running the guest list. Yeah, we, we need the whole gang to keep them out. Yeah. The Oedipus Rect. Well, it remains for me to call time at the bar at the Moon Underwater for this evening uh, to thank our wonderful guest, Dave Berry, to thank our fleeting visitor, Dave Masterman, and also to allow our regular, the lovely Robin Allender, to have an extra pint after last orders uh, as he is allowed by law the law of the moon underwater Uh, so thank you everybody for listening thank you uh, Dave do take care in your pubs of the mind and we will see you again soon There we go, folks. Uh, It's almost time at the bar here. In fact, it is now time at the bar. We bid Dave Berry a very, very fond farewell. And we thank him for coming here and furnishing our pub with some elements of memory, imagination and desire. Yeah, it was a lovely chat, wasn't it? Um, Very enjoyable. Uh, I said I liked Oasis to sort of please him. I mean, I do, I do like Oasis, but let's just say they're not my favourite band. No, but it's nice to please people. <gasps> I know, I do like. I I have love hate relationship with Oasis. I, I do love the first album. 
But I think that's exactly how Oasis would want it to be. Yeah. I mean, Noel Gallagher's pretty much said that himself at the end of Supersonic. He sort of, well, that, Supersonic ends with them playing Nebworth as if that was like the end of their career. And they like went, were going for about 10, 15 years longer after. You know, I think it's, yeah, you know, we're all nostalgic. But we're all also in charge of our own mythology. Yeah. yeah. Which is, in a sense, what this pub is about. Writing your own gravestone as you still live to admire it and drink it. <laughs> is that true? Is that true? I sp- yeah, it's, it's not. What I, when you pitch the podcast to me, it's not the first thing that leapt to my mind. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I said to you very specifically, I said, Robin, imagine if you could write your own gravestone and be there to drink it. That's what this is going to be. <laughs> yeah. And you said, and I remember you said, John, I'm in. Yeah, I did say, I did say that. Yeah, uh, folks. Uh, next week we are welcoming the glorious Sarah Millican to the Moon Underwater. But until then, fare thee well, let your drink be straight and true, and your beer be kept in a pint glass. (laughs) (laughs) Oh dear. We'll see you next week, guys. Bye-bye. Bye. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.